This is Noah Heron, and you are listening to another episode of the All Our Ways podcast, where different generations, different perspectives come together for the same Jesus. We're looking at how we can submit our ways to Jesus, all of them, all our ways. So glad that you're here. Before I introduce the conversation um, that we're going to have today, as well as our special guest, let me say a huge shout out to our season one podcast sponsor, The Jesus Loves You Company. I cannot say enough about this incredible company. You can find them on Instagram at Jesus Loves You Co. They have some incredibly cool shirts, hats, pants, everything in between. Um, But what I love about the company is the heart behind it. They're trying to spread the good news of Jesus, the gospel message that Jesus loves you more than you could possibly no, and uh, they're doing an incredible job at it. Go check them out. Use the All Our Ways um, discount code. It's just All Our Ways at checkout. Okay, so today we have an incredible guest. It's none other than the legend Gerald Fatiomi. And uh, I met Gerald on a trip to Israel about a year ago, um, the spring of 2019. We uh, were randomly sitting next to each other on the bus every single day in Israel, touring the incredible um, country of Israel, and we really bonded. I immediately felt a connection with Gerald, not just because of how cool and awesome of a dude he was, Um, But he really challenged me in so many different ways. One of the truly smartest guys I've ever met. He has an incredible way with words, an incredible communicator. Uh, He gets his message across in a way that is truly um, unique and one of a kind. He speaks straight to the heart of so many um, relevant issues in our conversation today. Uh, We covered everything from self-acceptance to the Enneagram to racial reconciliation in the church. And um, I am so thankful for Gerald's friendship. I'm so thankful for everything that he means to me and so many people. It's also a really special day because today, Gerald actually is coming out with his new book, which is called When Life Gives You Lemons. I had uh, the incredible honor of getting a copy early and also giving a um, recommendation for the book. And let me just tell you, this book is amazing. It's all about handling life's adversity and making the most out of it. Um, As you'll hear through our conversation, Gerald is one of the most qualified people when it comes to talking about this subject. And his story is truly remarkable. I can't wait for you to get to hear it. Without further ado, my conversation with the legendary Gerald Fatiomi, aka Young Gerald. Gerald, it is so good to have you on the All Our Ways podcast, man. How you doing? Man, I'm amazing, bro. It's so good to be with you. (laughs) Gerald, this is like going to be so fun for me because uh, every guest that we've had on here has been a friend, but I feel like we really got close when we met in Israel of 2019. We went on a trip uh, to Israel, and um, every time I have a conversation with you, I legitimately feel like everything is on the table to be talked about. And so I've really been looking forward to this conversation. Everything is on the table today, including the tiger shirt that you're wearing right now that nobody else can see but me. But everything's all, everything is fair game right now. You know what? In 2019, if you had said that, 
about me, my, my reputation probably would have taken a hit. But in 2020, people are really, really pumped that I'm wearing a Tiger shirt. I'm not going to lie. The shirt is dope. I'm making fun of it because I want it. So, But I can't buy clothes anymore because I have babies. So there you go. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Tip number one from Gerald. Make sure you have a savings account before you have babies. Okay. So, uh, man, one of the things that we bonded over um, the first time that we met uh, was our shared Enneagram number, mm-hmm. which for those of you who aren't familiar with Enneagram, it's a personality test of, of sorts. Um, and there's a number system from one to nine. Uh, anyways, Gerald and I are both threes, which would you give uh, the listeners a summary of what a three is? Yeah, gosh, I've been talking about the Enneagram for so long. I can't even remember the official definition of a three like the the name for it you remember what the name for it is it, it the depends achiever, on the achiever. the achiever yeah the achiever yeah so uh that's me i'm an achiever for sure i think there's a difference between like your personality and your hardwiring enneagrams more about your personality which a lot of like counselors and psychologists would say like your personality is more of a response to the way you grew up or the way you um, have interacted with your parents in life um, than your hardwiring, which is a whole nother conversation. So as a three, uh, it's really a response to having a dad who was absent growing up. My dad left when I was in third grade and having a mom who was schizophrenic, so who wasn't mentally present for most of my life and then went to jail when I was a junior in high school. And so I spent a lot of my life trying to earn my way into relationship with people and earn my way um, into being valuable in the world. And that has like negative effects for sure, but it also has some positives, right? Like it's made me an extremely hard worker. Uh, It makes me like get after things very quickly. So I go from idea to finished product in like a day, right? Like, uh, and Noah and I have both talked about how we're like that. So yeah, it's it's a person who finds their value most in achieving. Um, And we often talk about work a lot. We can be workaholics. We can be really driven people um, who just want to be known for, for doing something significant in life. Yeah. Okay, so I want to take uh, this, you know, we'll move past the Enneagram, but just this idea of, of working uh, and doing, because mm-hmm. I, I want to take it from the positives and the negatives. You mentioned the positives of, of being really hardworking. And I think a lot of people listening, they might find themselves in a, you know, they're hard workers, but it's a little bit harder for them to go from a dream to actually doing, whereas uh, someone like yourself, it's it's much easier for you to get a dream and then do and figure out a way to accomplish the dream. What would you say to somebody who's been sitting on some things that they feel like God's called them to do, but they're not quite sure the next step or how to get to the done part of their dream? Yeah, well, one, I would say like one of the greatest things that God has given us second to Jesus is us, right? And so most of my dreams happen because I lean into other people. I lean into community and I go, yo, like, I want to do this thing. I don't know how, can you help me? Can you show me? Mm. Can you guide me? Um, and so some of the things that I've pursued has just been from asking for help from the right people. Yeah. Um, but it's also from listening and learning and paying attention. And so I don't know what it is in me. That's like an activator. That's like this dream is happening. So I'm going to take the next 12 hours and cancel everything else I was going to do to get it moving. <laughs> I don't know what that is. I don't know that that's something you can like, coach or develop or force into someone but i do think the thing that we all have access to is a network of people and i think we often underutilize our network and we under undervalue the voices in our life and so just being more aware of like okay this is where i want to get who are some people who have gone there before me who are some people who have done some things that i'm wanting to do 
and let me reach out and ask if they can help me, guide me, show yeah. me, lead me in doing it. Man, so good. Okay, so now on the flip side, right? Uh, the stuff that I'll put myself in there for sure. Um, the stuff that I struggle with and a lot of Enneagram threes are just people who are, you know, they lean more towards the, I'm a doer, I'm a achiever type of a person. Yeah. Uh, we've had several conversations about how social media can come into play with this. And when you're a doer, the temptation is to just show everyone everything that you're doing. And you said something one time, uh, on Instagram that, that just, I wanted to take a lap uh, when you said it. You said something along the lines of, I've realized that the people who are doing the most talk the least about it or something to that extent. Will you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, so sometimes I post to myself, honestly, and people think <laughs> I'm like taking shots at someone else. I'm like, no, I'm actually taking a shot at me um, because I often can spend time like worrying about what I'm posting and do people know what I'm doing? And I just think like some of the most influential men and women that I know are people who are behind the scenes hustling and they're so busy working that they don't have time to post about what they're doing. They don't have time to worry about like a following and more followers and the algorithm and posting at the right times and all that stuff. They're like, no dude, like I'm out here trying to make a difference. And so I'm going to go and do that. And if it gets recognition, like that's on God to put a spotlight on it if he wants it there but it's my responsibility to get out and do the work. And so, yeah, man, I just want to be better at that. I want to be a person who's known more for, for what I do in, in silent and what I do in secret than what I do in public. I was actually at a retreat in Colorado a couple of months ago, and this dude said this, and it's, it's really been wrecking me, honestly. And it's kind of hard to even wrestle with that as I'm promoting a book at the same time, which we'll talk about in a minute. But uh, he said to me, he said, your, your secret place should be your most successful place. Mm. And I thought, dang, is that true about my life? Like, is my, is my most successful place the secret time that I have with God? Is my most successful place the time that I spend with my wife and my kids when no one else is watching, right? Like, is my most successful place the conversations that I have with my friends that aren't on an Instagram live, but are just us, like, depositing into each other? And I want that to be true of me. I don't know that I can say it always is. Man, dude. That's wrecking me. Um, I, you know, I, I love that you, uh, I love that we've talked about this a little bit. I want to go a little further because um, a lot of people listening to this are in ministry, but I would say the majority of the people listening to this are not in vocational ministry, uh, yeah. but are Christians. I would say the majority of people listening are Jesus followers. Yeah. And uh, the majority is also the, the younger generation, millennials, Gen Z, and so what would you say to someone in that generation who's listening, who feels the pressure that we're talking about, the pressure to, to share, the pressure to post, the pressure to fit a certain mold, you know, everyone knows the mold we're talking about, the cool Christian, uh, you know, I have the followers, I have the look about me that says Jesus follower, that's cool. What would you say to someone feeling that pressure right now? Yeah, so I'll go back to, to what you started by asking about doing and being, right? And I think what I would say to the next generation who's rushing to be doers is I would say slow down and go read the story of the interaction between Jesus, Mary, and Martha, where Martha is doing for Jesus and Mary is being with Jesus and look at wow. who Jesus says is doing the greater work, right? Man. Uh, and it's Mary in the moment. It's her deciding to be with Jesus. And I think a lot of times we can spend our time focusing on doing rather than becoming. 
And I don't want to have a successful ministry or a successful business or a successful platform or Instagram or whatever, whatever it is that you're pursuing. I don't want to have that without becoming the person who can sustain it. Right. Come on. So if we aren't taking the work to really grow in our relationship with Jesus, if we're not taking the time to grow and be a person of character and integrity, we're going to take shortcuts that are going to hurt us in the long run. If we're not taking the time to grow in relationship with other people, you're going to find yourself isolated. And every person who I know who's made it and who's isolated is either miserable or they don't last. Right. And so there's the hard work of becoming that no one else gives you credit for, that no one else sees. But those are the people who last. Those are the people who stick around for the long haul. And so I'd say to a millennial or a Gen Z person who's listening to this, who has dreams and aspirations, have dreams and you should run after those really hard, but run after becoming just as much as you're running after doing. Man, uh, All Our Ways podcast. Uh, you did not know that you were going to get a fire sermon from <laughs> young Gerald. Uh, dude, that is so good. I'm about to go back and re-listen and take notes uh, after we record because that there's so much to unpack there. Um, I love, 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 love what we're about to talk about. We're about to talk about your new book. And the reason um, I'm excited to talk about this, not just because you're a great friend to me, but because the place that this book came out of is actually what you were just talking about. Uh, I'm going to summarize. You had a book idea that you wanted to write about. And you kind of openly admit at the introduction of your book that you don't know if you had pure motives for writing that book. There were some ulterior motives there and um, you took a step back. And in the process of taking a step back, God put this new message on your heart to share. And uh, why don't you just uh, share that story with us a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'd written two books at this point and I just felt like it was time to write another one. Um, I had a bunch of different ideas. And so I started down the road on one of them. And the more that I wrote, the more convicted I got, the more I was like, I don't, I don't know if I even want to write this. I don't know who I'm writing this for. It just feels like I'm writing to write. And so I just finished stopping writing the book. Uh, and then about a month and a half, two months later, all this coronavirus stuff hit and it hit my family really hard. Um, my wife and I have identical twin baby girls. They're amazing. They're the sweetest little things. Um, but they were born in the middle of a pandemic and they were born while I was waiting for coronavirus test results to come back. And so it caused me to miss the birth of my kids. It caused my wife to not be able to see or hold them for the first two days of their life. And then it also cost us another three weeks of time that we weren't able to be with them because the NICU had to shut down um, and we couldn't see or hold our girls. And so in the middle of this kind of pandemic and adversity that we were facing, it brought back one, all of the old adversity that I'd gone through and how poorly I'd handled it then and how I was doing a better job of handling it now. It also brought back the story of Joseph in a sermon that I preached a few years ago. And as I was thinking about all of that, that's where this book came from. And that's when the Lord like gave me permission to run after it full speed. Uh, and it went from, I mean, what we were talking about earlier, right? Like it went from idea to book in two and a half months. So it happened really quickly. Um, but I, I felt like it was the right one for sure. I love it. And, and the title of the book is When Life Gives You Lemons. Yeah, yeah. I love it. What made you want to title the book that? Man, I just feel like it's like a, such a common expression, you know, like yeah. and everyone, old people at least are always saying that like when hard things happen, like, well, when life gives you lemons, <laughs> yeah, make lemonade. I'm like, all right, like how? Like somebody tell yeah. me how to do that, you know, because like mm. if I knew the recipe or the secret to taking my hardest moments and making them my greatest moments, I'd do it 100% of the time. But yeah. nobody ever tells you how to do it. And so I don't know that there's like a, if you do this, this, and this, your life is going to be perfect. 
But I do think there's some questions that we can ask that'll help lead us in the direction of finding the good in even really hard situations. And so, yeah, I just wanted to take an old phrase and maybe breathe some new life into it. I'm going to flex a little bit because uh, I've read the book. It's not even out yet. And I've read it because Gerald sent it to me and uh, it is so good. It's, I, I love the length even because like I said, we've got some younger listeners and um, I know the younger listener stereotype is they don't like to read long books. And that's definitely true for me for the most part. Um, I cruised through it in about a day and a half, was completely done with it. And you hooked me with the line that you said, um, when life gives you lemons is this popular saying, but no one tells you how to do it. How many of us actually know how to make lemonade? Yeah. Um, and you dive into that process for you. And I, I think that that process and the questions that uh, you talk about in the book are extremely helpful. They're extremely helpful to all different types of adversity. What would yeah. you say um, outside of the, the most recent, and if I had to imagine, I would say that your most recent adversity with having to miss um, the birth of your, of your first two girls, yeah. Uh, what would you say is the greatest adversity that you've had to overcome in your life outside of that? Yeah, gosh. I mean, I could go down a list. I don't know that there's one that comes to mind. I feel like my life is a walking adversity, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so just a little bit of context about me, because I know a lot of people listening to this probably don't know who I am. Um, so I'm a pastor in Atlanta, uh, but my story is this. My parents were never married. My dad left in the third grade. My mom's a diagnosed schizophrenic, which led to me being homeless and in foster care in multiple seasons. My mom went to jail my junior year of high school. So at 16, I was on my own. I became a club promoter in Atlanta. I threw parties with every major rapper in the city of Atlanta you can think of. Thought my life was going well. And in, thir in my third year of doing that, I had three friends murdered, one friend commit suicide all in the same year. It led me to the church. It led me to following Jesus. I met my wife at the church. And then in year one of our marriage, uh, her dad took his own life. And I had to bail my mom out of jail again about a month after that happened. And so now, as of recent, I find myself with this coronavirus pandemic missing the birth of my kids. And I don't know that I can say there's one adversity that's been harder than the other. I think in every, se in every season, they all feel really, really hard. The yeah. only difference in this one and the others is, I, is my perspective. I responded to every season of my adversity up until following Jesus very, very poorly. And honestly, with the question, why, right? Like, why is this happening to me? Why hasn't God done anything about this? Like, why does it have to be me and not them? And that question has just never led me anywhere positive, right? And so um, what I've learned are to ask better questions. And in doing that, it's led me to better places. And so I don't know that I can say one has been harder than the other. I can say that my whole life has been hard, um, but I'm also starting to see that all of that is really good, you know? Man, that's... Dude, your, uh, your testimony is um, amazing. And one of the things that um, I didn't know about your testimony, I knew some of that, and then I read a lot of it in the book as well. But one of the things that you shared recently on social media was um, the story of being picked up by police as uh, a younger man, um, mm -hmm. a victim of racial profiling. Um, would you share that? Because I'd love to kind of talk about that in just a minute, but I'd love to set it up with this story. Yeah, so I was 19. I was hanging out with like four or five of my friends. Um, one of the dudes I was really close with, the other three I kind of knew, but not super well. We're sitting at a pool, we're eating pizza. There's no drugs, no alcohol. No one's doing anything wrong. Um, a neighbor sees a group of black kids sitting at the pool. He calls the police because there's been some robberies in his neighborhood. 
and the police show up. They immediately put us in handcuffs. They arrest us for prowling, which is a state misdemeanor. It sounds way worse than what it is. It's really being in the wrong place at the wrong time, essentially. Um, so we spend the night in our city jail. We're taken to our county jail. We see a judge in a few days, and the judge goes, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. You should have been given a warning and sent home. I'm dismissing the case. You don't need to worry about it. Um, but that moment led to an arrest record. It led to a mugshot that was used negatively against me by somebody else who had racial issues as well. And, um, you know, I just found myself in the spot where I'm like, I was sitting at a pool with my friends eating pizza. And yeah. somehow that ended up with me in jail. And the, the post kind of came from this place of what, what we've seen with Ahmaud Aubrey um, and many other cases like his, but that one hit really close to home because in, in his case, the neighbor didn't call the police and say there's a black dude in the neighborhood who happened to walk into an unfinished house and is now out for a jog. Rather, he chased him down and gunned him down in the middle of the streets. And there was a moment for me where I went, gosh, like, what if that guy who came after Mod was the neighbor when I was eating pizza at the pool? There's a yeah. chance that we're not doing this podcast right now, you know? Yeah. Um, and so it hurts. It's hard. Um, but again, it's a season of adversity and it's an unfortunate one that a lot of people of color have to face. Um, it's a lifetime of adversity. It's generations of adversity. Um, but at the end of the day, we can grow from it and we can be better because of it. And we'll be stronger as a race and as a people because of everything that we've gone through. So good, bro. Um, you know, the, the, the title of this podcast, all our ways, the whole point of this is to look at all of our ways and see how we can submit them to Jesus to ultimately give God, um, the glory through our ways. And I don't think that it's possible to do that without, uh, also bringing up the, um, injustices that we're seeing right now, uh, throughout our country, throughout our world, um, the, the racism, uh, the blatant uh, murders that have happened. And just a little context for those listening, we are two days after uh, the death of um, George Lloyd. Uh, did I say that right? George Lloyd? George Floyd. Um, and that happened in, in Minneapolis. And just a couple of weeks ago, the death of Ahmad um, that Gerald uh, referenced. And something that has become apparent to me over the course of the past couple of years, I, one of my best friends, his name is David. He is a, uh, he's a, a black guy. I've grown up with him. Um, he stood next to me in my wedding. And I grew up in a extremely, extremely great family. Um, no racism was ever uh, hinted at in any conversation I was ever um, a part of in my family. I'm super blessed uh, because of that. And I never really thought that I struggled with any type of preconceived ideas or stereotypes towards black people. Right. And um, a few years ago, something happened uh, locally and it sparked a conversation between my friend and I that made me realize that there were a lot of things that I didn't even realize I had in my heart that were not necessarily racist per se, but opened me up to not fully seeing the picture the way that Jesus would see the picture. Yeah. Um, that there was parts of my heart that were, if I'm honest, prejudice in ways that I had completely overlooked. Um, I would love to talk just for... 
uh, the next few minutes about what's going on. Um, Gerald, you're really outspoken on social media about um, not just about the big issues, but the smaller incidents of racism, not just the murders, but the things that happen every day. And I'm really thankful for your voice. I think your, your voice is incredible. Um, I want to say, I want to start the conversation off with saying, I want to learn to be better. And so um, I'm here to get uh, your perspective completely and unfiltered. And I know that it will really, really help a lot of people. Let's start with this. Um, I've noticed on social media, as things like this have happened, there are a lot of white people. I am white. If you, you can't, you might not be able to tell that through the sound of my voice, but I am crest toothpaste white. Okay. <laughs> um, and I've noticed a lot of white people's response is to say things like, this is not a race problem. This is a people problem, or this is not a race problem. Uh, you know, this is a sin problem. Would you, would you just speak to those responses? I know from personal experience that that can be extremely offensive to black people. And I would love to know uh, why you believe that is. I agree with them. It's a people problem. It's a yeah. sin problem. Racism is a sin. So it's the sin of racism. Uh, people are racist. So racist people are a problem. And so... Yeah, I mean, you can, if you want to point it to people, if you want to point it to the bigger issue of sin, we can do that. That's fine. But at the end of the day, that doesn't give you permission or honestly even a way to avoid the issue of race. Race is still the issue and racism yeah. is a sin. And so if you're going to go, it's a sin issue, then you have to identify it's the sin, right? Like if somebody cheats on their wife, you're not going to be like, oh, it's a sin issue. You're going to be like, no, dude, you committed adultery. That's a sin. That's not okay. You can't do that, right? And so I think what we try to do is we try to avoid calling it specifically what it is because to call it specifically what it is causes us to have to have to take a deeper look at ourselves and ask right. really hard questions about how we see the situation and how we've seen it historically and how our parents have seen the situation and how our grandparents see situations like this and what news networks we take in and what opinions mm -hmm. that we choose to listen to and whenever we have to look ourselves really hard in the mirror we avoid it right like yeah. And that's not just with an issue of race, that's with anything, right? Like nobody likes the feeling of conviction, even though it's necessary and needed for growth. Nobody likes feeling like they're in the wrong or they're ignorant to something. No one wants to feel dumb or feel like, you know, they are on the wrong side of history with something. And so it's easy to try to find a way to avoid it, but it's just not helpful. And I think the question then becomes like, what, what version of, a, of America do you want for your kids? Mm. And then ask yourself, what are you willing to do to create that? Mm. And if the version of America you want for your kids is the version that we're living in right now, then I don't know how you balance that with being a follower of Jesus. I just don't know how the two things work together. So that's yeah. what I'd say to that. So as a, you know, as someone listening who they see the things going on and they're with you, they say, Gerald, I'm with you. I, I'm a, I'm a white person. I'm a Mexican person. I'm a black person, whatever, you know, whatever their race is and they're listening right now, they go, I'm with you. I want to be a part of this solution. You know, I'm a, I live a far ways away from Minneapolis. I wasn't there on the ground. I live in the suburb of Chicago or I live in the suburb of Tampa. What can I do, Gerald, to be a part of the solution? What's something practical I can do in my community and my, uh, in my living place, in my local church to help unite um, what we're seeing happening, divide us. Yeah. So in simple terms, I'd say this, 
It is our responsibility as Christians to leverage our privilege for the benefit of others. This is what Jesus did for us, and we're supposed to model our lives after Jesus, right? And so the problem is with that statement is the word privilege, um, because privilege has become a weapon, and white people don't like hearing that they have privilege. So I'll just say this generally to any race of any person who's listening. If you eat at Chick-fil-A, you have privilege. Okay? Yeah. If you can afford the device that you're listening to this podcast on right now, you're privileged. So you have to ask yourself, how am I going to leverage the privilege that I have, whatever it is, for the benefit of someone who does not have the same privileges as me? It's super important that we do this. Jesus paints a really clear picture of what this is supposed to look like, by the way. He says the two most important things in our, in our relationship with God is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. A man once asked, what does it mean? Like, who is my neighbor? What does it mean to love my neighbor as myself? Who's my neighbor? And he's looking for a way out. And what Jesus does is he takes two racially tense groups. He picks the inferior race and makes that person the hero of the story. And then he demonstrates how that person is a neighbor to somebody else. And what he shows are three things. You should go read it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And the three things that the Good Samaritan does is he leverages his time. When everyone else was too busy to stop, he stops and sees a man beaten and broken on the side of the road. He never asks the question how he got there, by the way. That's just an interesting yeah. thing to think about. He never goes, yeah. hey, what was your criminal history that led to this right. moment for you, right? It was, mm. no, you're hurting. We can worry about the facts later. This yeah. should not have happened to you. So let's figure out what to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. So it gives us time. He gives us resources. He takes this guy to an inn and pays the cost for him to recover. And then he says to the innkeeper, hey, if there's anything else that's owed, you put it on my tab. So he uses his influence. So time, resources, influence. That's how we use our privilege for the benefit of other people. So I would ask you, what time are you spending understanding issues of minority people? Are you listening to friends? Are you having hard conversations? Are you investing in, in understanding the organizations that exist, the nonprofits that exist to fight these issues? That's time. Resources, how are you spending your money? If you show me your bank account, I can show you where your heart is. And I bet that a lot of us love Chick-fil-A more than we love our brothers and sisters of color. And so I'd ask us, how are we investing our resources? And then lastly, how are you leveraging your, your influence? And I think for us in 2020, that's your voice. So how are you using your social media platforms? How are you carrying conversations with friends? How are you using the influence you have um, for the benefit of someone who doesn't have the privilege that you do? Dude, so helpful. My gosh. Um, Gerald, so you, earlier in the conversation, you talked about <clears throat> the need for people around you. And, and we're coming to a close um, here in just a second. But you talked about the need for people around you. One of the things that I've admired about you is how deeply your friendships are. Um, even, even our friendship, right? It's, we're not, we're not best friends in the world, but we met one time on a trip. And since then you've been so intentional with me, not just in, Hey man, was thinking about you. How's it going? But we've literally sat down and had conversations about things and motives that, um, I don't have conversations with, with some of my friends that I've known my whole life. And, and I really, really love that. What would you say to somebody listening who desires those types of friendships? And what would you also say to that same person um, when they're looking for friends that can fit into that type of mold, when they're looking at prospective friendships and who they should invest in, just kind of speak to that. Cause I think you do a really good job of, of doing both of those things. Yeah. I think vulner vulnerability breeds vulnerability and humility breeds humility. Right. And so I try, and I don't always get this right, but I try my best to always lead with what I'm struggling with to lead with where I'm not getting it right. To, to ask more questions than to make assumptions. 
Um, and then hopefully in doing that, I'm invited in to also give my opinion about their world as well. And what happens over time when you're vulnerable, when two people are vulnerable with each other, a friendship is born, right? And so yeah. if you want to be friends with someone, be honest about how you're, you're wrestling and go, hey, mm-hmm. like I've noticed you. It seems like you're really good at this area of life or it seems like you figured some things out. I'm really struggling with this. Could I pick your brain on it for a minute, right? Yeah. And over time, that, that leads to relationship, leads to friendship. That's how our friendship started. It started yeah. with both of us just being honest and vulnerable about some things that we we're processing as threes, things that we're processing with social media, things that we're learning yeah. about marriage and leadership and ministry. And that over time has led to not only are we going to talk about deep things, but we're going to make fun of tiger shirts and make fun of... <laughs> <laughs> Spider-Man Band-Aids. I'm, I'm rocking a Spider-Man cool. Band-Aid that we, Gerald we called on me a, out on. We got on a Zoom the other day and Noah spent 15 minutes roasting my background of the Zoom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> oh, man. I love it, man. I love you, Gerald. Okay, so when this podcast comes out, your book is going to be available, When Life Gives You Limits. Oh. Um, what's, what's the best way for people to pick that up? Yeah, it's available on Amazon, but if you go to thelemonbook.com, thelemonbook.com, you'll find access to purchase the book. There's actually on that site going to be three free resources for how to battle anxiety with myself and a professional counselor. And then there's also a course um, on navigating adversity and battling anxiety with the professional counselor as well. And so we just wanted this to be a resource to help people walk through the hard seasons, um, to battle anxiety well, but ultimately to grow in their intimacy and their relationship with Jesus. So go to thelemonbook.com dot com and everything you need to be there you guys need to do it it is incredible i highly highly recommend it and the cover is awesome i don't know if you guys follow gerald on social media but there was somehow gerald got drake the rapper to post (laughs) a photo there's a photo on on gerald's instagram page of drake holding this book that hasn't even been released yet it's incredible i don't know how you do what you do Drake, if you're listening, don't sue me, baby. Okay. <laughs> don't come for me. <laughs> I love it. All right, man. Um, any parting words? This is, this is final uh, advice to people trying to navigate right now, trying to submit their ways to Jesus. Any final um, parting words from Gerald? Yeah, I'd say two things. I'd say if you're going through a hard season right now, understand in submitting your ways to Jesus that suffering is a part of the story. And when we suffer, we become more like Jesus. And so whatever you're going through, that's really hard. I hate that you're going through it, but know that in the end, you're going to end up more like Jesus. And so it's a good thing. And so lean in, don't run away from the pressure. Um, Don't hate the season. Embrace that it's hard, but let it grow you and and strengthen you and mold you. Um, And then the other thing I'd say is just turn the page, right? Like whatever you're going through is not the end of the story. It's a chapter in the story and you get to turn the page. And when you do, here's the beautiful thing. The next page is blank. Yeah. So you and God get to write the story together and you get to decide what you want to be true of you next. You get to decide who you want to become, where you want to go, how you want to live and how you're going to use this season to impact other people. And so if anyone listening to this is wrestling in any way, um, I hope that you're encouraged. I hope that you can find hope um, and I hope that you'll lean in and go on this journey with us. So good. I feel like I said so good 18 times during this podcast, but it was literally so good, Gerald. Thank you so much for uh, the honor of letting me interview you you for this podcast. Thanks for being on All Our Ways. Come on. Love you. Peace. Boom.